All right. All right. Well, welcome, everyone. So good to see so many faces today, new faces, old faces, people I haven't seen in a really long time. So oh, my heart is really happy right now. Just feels so good to see you all. Welcome. Um, if I have not had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Natalie. And my husband, Talk, and I both get to pastor this church together. It's been the joy of our lifetime to get to do this together. Um, and so, so funny. I feel like I'm like looking at everyone full circle <laughs> around here. So welcome, everyone. I'm not ignoring you. Just, you know, <laughs> I love you all. But uh, yeah, um, you know, I love that 30-second question. I was like excited to share. Obviously, um, you know, this has been an exciting week, actually three weeks for us because we moved into our new home. This was like, I think yesterday was maybe like the final of the final things we had to do for our house. We had to gut a bunch of things and renovate, and we finally are in. It's good. So if my eyes close for a prolonged amount of time, just pretend that I'm praying, right? I'm not asleep. I'm praying. <laughs> but no, really, I am uh, very tired, but I'm exhausted and happy at the same time. And it's so good to be here with you guys and just to be here and just celebrating on Sunday. Just seeing your faces and seeing people again is so good. Um, so uh, we have been in the middle of a series called Hello, My Name is Jesus. And we've been going through the book of Luke, and we are just slow rolling this for like, I mean, over a year now. We've been going through the book of Luke and just diving in line by line, talking about what it was that Jesus actually did, what he actually said, and diving into the meaning behind that. Because, um, you know, sometimes it doesn't, oh, it comes off at face value a little offensive. So we want to help you understand what Jesus was actually saying and actually doing and uh, how that applies to us today. So today, I just want to warn you a little bit um, as we get started, um, this passage can come off on face value a little bit offensive. And so um, I want to dive into the why it comes off a little bit offensive and what he was actually saying, because I believe that we should not sweep questions or awkward things under the rug, but that we should talk about them and we should understand why the Bible says what it says. And most of the time, there's a deeper meaning behind why it's saying, why it's saying certain things. So for me, it's really important for, to understand the context of why it was said who it was written about, and what was meant. And it's really important not to read the Bible from our current Western everyday understanding because we see the world from completely different lens than the people who wrote and lived in this time. So I'm going to share with you before we jump into this passage, I just want to share a little bit with you about what was going on in this passage and who the people in it were. So it's really important, like I said, to read the Bible from the perspective of the people in the story. And so let's give some context. In this story, the people that are talking with Jesus, we can assume that they are Jewish. And that's really, really important because the way that he would talk to them about certain things was different than he would talk to people who did not already have a Jewish faith. So there are certain um, historical events they would have an understanding about that people who were not part of the Jewish, Jewish faith would not know. There are certain um, historical moments. There are certain assumptions and understandings that he just would not be able to say to someone who maybe didn't share the same background. And so we're going to talk about some of those reference points in this passage. Um, but we also know that they were probably Jewish because there was Pharisees in that crowd and that they were Jewish priests. He refers to the people by their holy city, which is Jerusalem. And then um, he, um, 
yeah, that's it. That's good. <laughs> we can move on from that. They were Jewish. Okay, so the time frame is very close leading up to G Jesus' crucifixion. So he's coming up on some of his last days here, and so he is going to get clearer and clearer with his message and a little bit more pointed because uh, he wants to make sure that everyone really understands what he is saying. So he knows that he's about to die. He knows he's about to be crucified. But the people that are there don't, and they, they don't fully understand what he's saying some of the time until it comes to pass. Um, a little bit about what's happening in the culture in that time. So at that time, um, the, the, um, the Pharisees, the Jewish priests, were kind of in cahoots. Do you guys know what in cahoots means? I don't know if that's a Midwest thing. Sometimes I say things and people here are like, what are you talking about? Basically, they were kind of buddy-buddy uh, um, with Herod Antipas at that time. Um, and it was really not in the Jewish interest to stir the political waters because they had finally had a governor who was willing to work with them and let them worship in peace. There had been a lot of persecution and mass murders of Jews in the past and a lot of war that they had lived through, and they were tired. And so they really just did not want to stir the political waters. And so uh, the Pharisees were kind of in line with them at that time, and they just wanted to keep a low profile under Roman rule uh, because having a, a king come at this moment, um, say that they are king of the Jews, might be really offensive to Caesar, who thought he was literally God and was there basically like their king, their Caesar. So Caesar would totally not be cool with another king coming up from underneath him and saying that he was really God, he was really the one in charge. So the Jews at this time, it's kind of like an inopportune moment for <laughs> to stir up some political unrest for them. They know that this is going to be kind of hard. And so the Pharisees, they kind of did not, they did not really want to believe in Jesus at this time. So all of that being said, I hope that gives you kind of a good context of what's happening before we dive in. We are going to dive in, and it's Luke 13, verses 22 through 34. So you can either follow along with me, um, just listen to me, I'll read it out loud, or we'll have it on the um, screen if you're watching online. So uh, we'll just go ahead and we'll dive right in. So here's what it says. Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he went, always pressing on towards Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, will only a few be saved? And he replied, work hard to enter the narrow door to God's kingdom. For many will try to enter, but will fail. When the master of the house has locked the door, it will be too late, and you'll be outside knocking and pleading, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you came from. And then you will say, but we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. And he will reply, I tell you, I don't know you or where you came from. Get away from you, all who do evil. Ouch. Then there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for you will see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you will be thrown out, and people will come from all over the world, from east, west, west north, and south, to take their places in the kingdom of God. And note this. Some who seem least important now will be the greatest then, and some who are the greatest now will be the least important then. Okay, ow. <laughs> what? That's kind of rude, right? When you read through that, you're like, okay, Jesus, is this going to be really hard for me to get into the kingdom then? And from at first glance, this is why it's really important to know who he's talking to and why he's saying 
what he's saying. Because he's not actually saying that it's going to be hard for anyone to get into the kingdom. What he's saying is that narrow door that he's talking about is him. So first and foremost, I want to say we want to make sure that when we read this, we compare these verses to the whole of scripture and not just that a tiny little snippet of what we see right in front of our face. We want to compare it to the whole narrative of Jesus. And we know that in the past he said that he came so that none would perish, but that all would have eternal life. But the narrow door that he's talking about is himself. What he's saying is, this is not meant to be a works-based, eking through the narrow door to heaven. I'm doing everything perfect and right. What he's saying is, I'm the narrow door. I'm the only way to the Father. I am the door. It's me. That's it. And if you look in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one gets to the Father except through me. Now, this was really important because he was drawing a very clear line for them about the way to get into the kingdom of God. And many did not believe that he was a savior. So a lot of these people just thought he was a really good teacher. You know, if you remember um, in that verse, it said, you will say that you taught in our streets and we had dinner with you. We knew who you were, right? But Jesus is saying, that's not enough. I'm telling you, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am the only way to the Father. I'm not a, just a good teacher. I'm not just another prophet. I'm the Son of God. That's what he's saying. And so um, that, narrow, that narrow door was honestly not what a lot of them wanted at that moment because, like we said, Jesus was not really planning to overthrow Caesar. And they wanted someone who was going to be able to overthrow Caesar. So they were kind of looking for a king that had this huge army that would be able to throw, overthrow Caesar. And he was clearly not that. <laughs> he was this guy who was just traveling around and teaching people stuff with disciples and talking about the Old Testament at that time and, and basically calling himself the son of God. And so people at this time were like, um, this is really not what we were looking for. Um, and at that moment, they knew that if they followed him, if they chose to believe he was the son of God, that would mean persecution for them. So that narrow door, that was for them, that was going to be a rough, that was going to be a rough go. And he's letting them know up front that this was going to be a narrow door. But also, not only was he the savior, but now his mission was for all people. So historically, the Jewish people had been told that they were the chosen people. They were God's first. They were his chosen ones. And so they believed that they would inherit the kingdom of God, and they kind of had this insider mentality, right? So if you remember from last week, hold on, I'm going to take a little water break. We talked about um, Jesus calling people to be like yeast in the dough. So yeast goes inside of the dough, it spreads out throughout the dough, and it makes everything rise. It lifts everything up. And as people who believe and follow Christ, that's part of our role, is to go out into the world and to lift, to raise people up, to lift people, to be agents of change, right? And so Jesus is saying, you've been told that it was all about you, but now I'm telling you, it's about everyone. It's not just you. And so um, he desperately wanted them to catch his heart and believe in him and believe in that mission. Even though they were the original chosen ones, the kingdom inheritance was now open for everyone. 
but they were going to have to choose him. And that would show, if they didn't choose him, they would show, that would show that they didn't really understand the heart of God if they didn't choose him. Because the Bible says, if you know the Father, you know the Son, right? So that brings us to the part that says, the first shall be the last, or the last shall be the first. Or in different, the translation I said today was, the greatest now will become the least. And the least will become the greatest. And what he's talking about is opening those doors for everyone. People who were previously on the outside, now we want to open the doors for them too. The people that we looked at as the least before, they're, they're welcomed in. But if you don't accept me, you're considered the greatest now, but you might be the last ones let into the door. So this is actually not the first time we hear about the theme of the greatest becoming the least or the paradox of the eldest child and the younger child. So there's actually the themes of this all throughout scripture. So I kind of, I could be wrong, but I kind of have this idea that God was trying to tell people all throughout the Old Testament, guys, it's not just about you. It's about all of us. you got to choose me too. You have to choose me. And if you don't choose me, I'm going to let other people come in and take your place. You have to choose me. And so there's themes of this. So we see it in Jacob and Esau. He gave up his inheritance for a quick fix, right? He wanted a bowl of soup. So he gave up his, his inheritance and his younger brother got it, right? Um, the Israelites in the deserts, the first generation of Israelites, God rescued them out of Egypt, yes, but they never got to see their promised land because they spent the whole time in the desert grumbling and whining and complaining. And so guess what? The next generation got to see the promised land before they did. Um, another, t another one we all probably have heard is the older brother in the prodigal son story. The older brother was famously known for that insider mentality, right? He wanted it all for himself. He did not want to share with his brother who went out and did crazy things. He was not excited that his brother was going to receive his inheritance and that his brother was going to be welcomed back in even though he had done a lot of bad things in his life. He wasn't excited about that. And all of these things that we've seen, we just talked about, um, you know, giving up our inheritance for a quick fix for the easy thing, right? Um, you know, being ungrateful and grumbling, having an insider mentality. Those are all things that God wants to root out of us. He wants us to know that he is for everyone. But I think something happens in our hearts when we believe that we are owed something. And we can see here that some of these people may have had in their minds that they were owed the kingdom of God just because of who they were related to, because of their family lineage. And so, you know, when we think that we're owed something, we can tend to get entitled. Now, you don't have to raise your hand and you don't have to nudge anyone next to you, but just kind of in your mind, have you ever known someone who was very entitled? Um, just kind of think about it for a moment. Um, usually someone who's entitled really believes that they're inherently deserving of privileges or special treatment. Um, they think they should just get what they want because they want it or, um, you know, they don't usually take other people's needs into consideration. It's all about what I want, right? Um, oftentimes they think that they're more special than other people. And so Jesus was alluding to the fact that some of these people might be feeling like they are entitled to inherit the kingdom just because of who their family was. And this, honestly, I think this still applies to us today. Sometimes, um, you know, we think, well, 
my family goes to church, or my spouse goes to church, or my parents go to church, and so I'm a Christian. But Jesus is still saying to us today, you still have to choose me. You still have to choose me. Everyone has to, to make their own decision to follow me with their whole heart, with your whole life, not just with your words, not just with Sunday attendance, but with your heart. I want you to follow my mission. I want you to bring as many people into this as possible. I want you to lift other people and be a part of my story. That's what it means to follow Christ. But this applies to more than just salvation. I think um, we also have to be aware of how we react when we think God owes us something, especially when things don't go our way. And, you know, I have caught myself... I don't know if anyone else is like me, but I've caught myself whining about <laughs> what when God doesn't answer me the way that I think that he should. There's been plenty of times where I catch myself being like, God, I totally asked you for this, and you didn't do it. And, he, and, and I get upset, and I have all these expectations feeling like they're unmet, only for later on God to be like, I had something better for you if you would have just been patient and not whined, you would have seen that I had something good for you all along. But, you know, when we get caught up into this entitled mentality, it's really easy to get wrapped up in feeling feelings of jealousy, seeing what others have, and thinking that you should be having that too, or having self-pity. It's like, oh, well, God sees them, but he doesn't see me, right? I, I know none of us have ever had these thoughts, right? Okay, maybe just me. Okay, well, I definitely have. But no, it also comes out in the inability to celebrate others' blessings. You know, sometimes when we see other people getting blessed, can we celebrate with them and still trust and still know that God is still good and he's still for us too, right? Uh, sometimes it just turns into us mistrusting God. But today, if I can encourage you all to just reject the notion that God is withholding something good from you and oh my gosh today JP like brought a word I don't know where he went I think he's like inside or something but he brought a word like he didn't know what I was preaching about today but he literally just preached the whole sermon at the end of his song there because that was such a great message about how we don't need to have expectations about what God should be doing for us and when we just need to know that he desperately desperately wants to bring good to our life but sometimes well, all the time, he knows better than we do. He knows more about our life and what we need than we do. He knows before we even ask. And he's ready to deliver. He's ready for that. But sometimes we get expectations for what we think that he should do and we get disappointed. And he's like trying to tell us, I have something so good for you, so much better than you could ever even imagine. So... He knows what you need, and he, he wants us to not be mad when he's good working, when he's working out the good for other people too, right? And I think sometimes that's our, our insider mentality. We can get upset when we see God doing good things for other people while we're still waiting. But you can trust that he's got you. He sees you. He's going to take care of you. So will you still believe and trust God when things don't go how you think? they should be going. So we're going to move on and finish the rest of this passage after my drink break. And this is called Jesus Grieves Over Jerusalem. At that time, some Pharisees said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas wants to kill you. 
And Jesus replied, go tell that fox, I will keep casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow and on the third day. I will accomplish my purpose. Yes, today, tomorrow, and the next day. I must proceed on my way. For it wouldn't do for a prophet of God to be killed except in Jerusalem. O Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often, catch this, how often I've wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. And now look, your house is abandoned, and you will never see me again until you say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, I know this sounds very negative, but just stay with me. It's going gonna, it's gonna to turn out okay at the end. In this moment, Jesus is assuming that the Pharisees are messengers of Herod's. Like we talked about, the Pharisees are in cahoots, right, with Herod at that time. So he's assuming that they are messengers of his coming to tell him this and trying to intimidate him. But Jesus is saying, uh, excuse me, no, I will accomplish my mission. My mission. I will make sure to do what I have promised to do. And he actually kind of mocks Herod, actually. He says, go tell that fox. And at that time, a fox was kind of like um, the, a low on the totem pole. He's saying to Herod, basically, you think you're a big, tough guy, but you're really just a fox. You got to sneak behind. You got to sneak around to get what you're looking for. I know you're not the top dog. You're a fox. And so he's kind of like jabbing him. He's like, I will accomplish my mission. And he's kind of getting sassy with them at that moment. But then in a little bit of an unexpected way, he then calls himself the hen. Okay, so in that moment, the Israelites are like, um, like, what? You're a hen? Why do you want to be a hen? We're looking for someone who's going to come in and like, slay all these jokers, like slay all the people and get Rome out of our way so that we can, you know, follow our king. And Jesus is like, I'm a hen. I have longed to gather you all under my wings and protect you. And everyone knows that what a fox in a hen house does, right? A fox comes to kill the hen house, to come to kill the hen. And so Jesus is saying, I know that I'm going to die. And I'm not going to do it the way that you think I'm going to do it. I came to sacrifice myself for you. But I'm going to keep going. I'm still going to be a hen. And I'm still going to cover you. And I'm still going to protect you. And I'm still going to love you. And your whole life, I've just longed to take you under my wings and cover you. And I want to give my life to make sure that you thrive and you live. See, Jesus was not trying to make it hard to get into the kingdom. It seemed like it at the beginning, right? But he was saying, no, I actually want to make this open for everyone. I want to make it easier for you to get into the kingdom. But you just have to choose to follow me. But then he points out um, that Israel has this really bad habit of killing all of their prophets. And a prophet's role is to... One, to, to reveal sin, but also to reveal God's will. And people frequently don't like this if it's not what they want, 
right? Like we talked about, people, they just don't like being told what they don't want to hear. They don't like their flaws being pointed out. They really just want, you know, usually it's like some tips for a better life. They want all the blessings. They want to stay comfortable. They want Jesus to wrap them up in a cozy blanket and send them on their way and tell them to go have a good life. But he doesn't do that. He's like, nope, sorry. Um, This is actually going to be really hard to walk in this way. But if you just choose me, I'm going to be with you forever and for always. I'm going to send a helper that will never, ever leave you or forsake you, ever. But um, the thing is, the Israelites have this habit of killing all of their prophets. It's a really unfortunate thing. (laughs) But every time God sends someone to give them a message, they end up killing him. And so Jesus here is saying, again, I know that a bunch of you in this room right now are about to launch a campaign to have me killed in the next few days. It's only appropriate that I die in Jerusalem. So, will he help and guide us in life? Yes. Jesus was not just there to keep us comfortable there, though. He wants to call us up. He wants to call us out. He wants to help us and guide us but not to just affirm us to keep doing what we're doing. He wants us to call us to a higher level of laying down our lives for him and for others. It's kind of gritty, and it's very selfless, and it can be very uncomfortable. But he would never, ever ask us to do something that he didn't already do himself. So you can just imagine being Jesus in that moment. He's ready and willing to die for this people, and he, he knows that they're going to kill him. And he knows that they're going to reject them. But he still wants to do whatever he can to tell them that all you have to do is choose me and walk through this narrow door. It's not going to be easy. But if you do this, you will be so glad that you did. You will inherit the kingdom of God. So as we wrap up, um, I just want to ask us three questions just to think about as we go into this week. Um, And what can we learn from this passage? Because it comes off, um, like I said, a little harsh in the beginning. But the undertones are actually full of love and hope. Full of love and hope for not just you, but for everyone in our lives. So the main question, the first one is, do I have an insider mentality or an outsider mentality? See, an insider wants to keep people out, keeping all of those benefits to themselves. But an outsider wants to get as many in the door as possible. And Jesus was very clear about what he expects and what he wants from us. But we often need to realign to make sure that we're focusing our heart on his mission and not just our mission. The second one is, how do I react when I feel offended or when things don't go my way? Um, Humans really in every generation have really struggled to change course, it's really hard to humble ourselves and to shift. It is so hard to admit when maybe we are going in the wrong direction and to change course because it takes a a humility in saying, I was wrong. But conviction is always, it's easy to replace the conviction of God with an offended heart. There's a difference between conviction and offense. And conviction is always that painful prodding to turn around and do what's right. But we can always trust that conviction is meant for our good. God always means for good in your life. But offense 
offense always keeps us complacent or brings us down. We don't have time in our life to be offended anymore. If God is speaking to your heart, if he prods your heart, if he's saying, I need you to change this, I need you to do this. If we can just for a moment be like, I'm sorry, God. Okay, this hurts, this is painful, but I know that you're calling me up. Offense, like I said, will keep you in the same place or bring you down, but God wants to call you up. He wants to raise you up. He wants you to grow. He wants you to flourish. He wants you to raise up. So we, we don't have time or room in our lives to remain offended when people point out things for us, right? When they're like, hey, I saw this thing in your life. You may want to think about that. Think about, does this please God's heart, right? Don't push those people away because they care about you. They love you. They want good for you. And the same thing when we see something in the Bible that convicts our heart and we're like, ugh. I don't want to do that. I don't like that. But we can trust that it's good and that God has good for us and he wants us to grow. And the last question is, do I identify with anyone in this story? You know, I think about the Pharisees who were more concerned with keeping the peace. They were more concerned about their own well-being than they were with God's agenda. They were more concerned with keeping power and status. It was a whole lot easier for them to not engage with the Savior, but they would literally lose everything. It was a quick fix, maybe easier in the moment, but they would lose connection with the God of the universe. Think about that. There's also the Israelites in the story. They were insiders. They had assumed, it, assumed an inheritance, but they still had to decide if they really wanted to know God or if they just wanted to play church. Were they going to help bring the world to know Christ? Or were they going to keep all the blessings for themselves? Maybe you're the unspoken people in this story. The ones who are coming from the north and the south and the east and the west. And you've never accepted Jesus as your savior. And you've, you've heard about it. You've known about it. Or maybe you've never even heard about it. But today, I just want to tell you, if that's you, he is so for you. He loves you. He is willing to lay down his whole life for you. And there's nothing that he wouldn't do for you. And you can trust that he's a good God with good things in mind for you. So if that's you today, I just want to invite you to take a moment right where, wherever you are and just say, God, I accept that. I accept this free gift that you gave in your life for me. And I want to give my life to you that's you. You don't have to like pray any fancy prayer. Just tell him that you believe in him and that you want to turn around. You want to start following him. So I don't know which category you guys fit into. I don't know if you fit into any of those categories. You might not fit into any of those categories and you might be like, I'm good. I'm just here to listen to God and praise and it's all good. And that's awesome and that's great and I celebrate with you. But if there's any of you who maybe do need for a moment to consider, God, am I anyone, am I in those stories? And if we can take a moment to just realign our hearts as we close out in worship, I just want to leave you with the encouraging message that God will never convict our hearts 
just to bring us down. He always wants us to grow and to rise up and to bring other people with us. So I just want to encourage you guys as we go um, to just take this time as we go into worship to just ask God what it is he wants to say to you and um, just let him speak to your heart. So let's go ahead and let's worship. What I love about that story where Jesus is walking into Jerusalem is he was so focused, locked into his mission, that when the Pharisees said, hey, they're gonna, Herod wants to kill you, he's like, yeah, well, you think I was going to stop me? I'm, I'm going I'm to keep going. And I, I believe this with all of my heart, like, God can use you to make a difference in this world to the degree that you're willing to embrace pain, to embrace discomfort, uh, to embrace uh, hard times. Because here's the thing, the Pharisees didn't go to Jesus and say, Jesus, Herod's trying to find you because he wants to upgrade all your stuff, right? Jesus, Herod wants to find you because he wants to send you on a trip across Europe. He didn't say that. He's like, hey, this is going to be really bad for you, Jesus. And Jesus is like, yeah, obviously. Do you think I was going to die anywhere outside of Jerusalem? Come on, man. I know what's going on. So you may be in a place where you've prayed, God, I want you to use me. But then when things get hard, we take a step back. God can use you to the level that you're willing to embrace pain and discomfort. And so you, maybe your prayer could be, God, I'm pretty thin-skinned. Would you help me? Because remember, at the, end of, at, the end of, at the end of our lives, the greatest compliment God could ever give us is well done good and what? Faithful. Well done, good and faithful. What does faithful mean? Faithful means that when everyone else quit, you kept going. When you wanted to quit, you kept going. That as the pack thinned out, you were still there faithfully serving God when you didn't want to. But the mission was more important than discomfort. So could you pray that? You know, one of the things we do every time we gather uh, is we take a free will offering. And just this week, someone had written in, and these are the kind of emails I love to get. I get a lot of emails that I don't really like. I think we all do. But this one I love because this person said that they've been watching online in some way, and they made a decision this week to give their life to the Lord. And they just wanted to let us know. And made my day. That's someone who is going to be forever changed. Their family tree is forever changed. And I, why do I bring that up right now? It's because every time you give, you're part of writing those stories. You're not giving to, like, equipment and to logos. When you give, you're giving to life change. And so I just want to encourage you uh, that your faithfulness is making a difference. If you want to give, you can go to voice.church forward slash give to give online. Uh, there's a bajillion other ways to give. You can figure it out. If you need help, let me, uh, let me know. Uh, today is a special Sunday, though. It's a bittersweet Sunday. So before we dismiss, we want to highlight uh, something happening for you. From about a year before we actually launched public services of this church two years ago, about a year before we started having business plans and names and logos and what, what is this thing going to be called Voice Church. And before we even had, like, I think, even a name of this church, when it was just an idea of the kind of church we wanted to create, we always said, and it's in our documents, that by year three, 
we wanted to have launched our first church. We didn't want to be a church that was all about us. We want to be a church that was for the community. And we want to be a church that launched churches that launched churches. That we wanted to have little grandbaby churches, right? And that may mean we have less stuff for us, but just like any grandparent, you just want to bless your kids and grandkids. We want to be like grandparent church, right? So today we announce, or we are sending off rather, Mike and Tiffany Orta to go launch their church in Milwaukee. They've been training for the last three years. They leave on Wednesday. Uh, if you want to send them a video, please just email me your video, taka at voice.church. Taka at voice.church. If you have my cell phone number, text me the video, and I'll put them all together so they can watch it. No one, I'm not, we're not going to make it public, so some of you guys are like, get social anxiety. We're not going to make it public. It'll just be for Mike and Tiff to watch over and over again because they're going to go through times of pain and discomfort, and they need to know that their voice family is rallying behind them. Right? So trust me, they're going to watch that video over and over and over again. If you want to be a part of that, just send me the video here. But we have some. So if Mike and Tiff, I know Mike's behind the camera uh, right now. If Mike and Tiff, you want to come up, up to you if you want to bring the kiddos up or if it's better that they don't. <laughs> totally up to you. <laughs> Tiff's saying, heck no. So just know we love you. We can be this close because they actually live with us. Uh, we live with them. We cohabitate. Nothing, nothing weird going on there. Uh, <laughs> no sister wives. Uh, that we live together as we've been training them to go launch a church the last uh, few years. But uh, Nat wants to, the few of us put some, some uh, stuff together and we have a gift for you. So. Yeah, so I'm going to hand it to you because, you know, it's big. Um, so we just put some of your favorite things together for your road trip. They're going to be driving all the way across the country to Milwaukee. And so we put literally like all their favorite fruit foods and drinks. Christy has some snack, um, activities for the kids too. They're coming. Um, but also a um, little California candle. And then uh, when you get there, um, there is a $200 gift certificate to Kalahari. So you guys can have a fun time with your family and just relax for a little bit. Um, whenever you're ready to go, it's a really cool water park there. Um, so, indoor water park. <laughs> they, they don't swim in the snow. I mean, probably they do. But anyway, um, yeah, so this is for you guys to just have some fun. And just for us to know we love you and we believe in you. Um, and so, yeah, just this is for you to, all the good things, um, to just enjoy and have a good trip. <laughs> so, um, and your favorite coffee's in there, too. So, um, I'll kick it over to you. We have one uh, other small thing we want to give you from our family, from Natalie and I, and I don't even know if Brooklyn, if it's from Brooklyn Kai, even though they, I don't know if they've seen it, uh, and Mabel, our dog. Uh, we all contributed for this. Uh, it's, it's, it's small, but it goes to a story um, where actually you, you preached on a couple weeks ago, uh, the story of Nehemiah. And for those of you guys that may not know, and if you do know, this can be a little refresher, but if you don't, uh, a little story time. Uh, Nehemiah was the king's cupbearer, wine taster. And this is a really critical position because if you're a king in that time, um, you've seen the TV shows and movies, people want to execute you all the time. And so there's a very small inner circle of who you can trust. So the cupbearer, the wine taster, was the last line of defense because if, if there's guards and stuff for the outer gates, but the way you can most easily kill the king is to sneak in and poison the food, to poison the wine. And so 
the cupbearer, the wine taster, was the most trusted person to the king. And what happened was he was so trusted that when uh, Nehemiah heard about the walls of Jerusalem that were torn down, his hometown, the king so trusted him that he sent finances and people followed Nehemiah to go rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And not only that, uh, he ended up being governor. He was a leader for 12 years. And it all started because he was willing to be faithful. He, would, he was literally all in with the king. Every time he tasted the wine before lunch, tasted a little bit of the, of the steak before dinner, he's like, this could be it. <laughs> like this, if someone wanted to kill the king, God, I'll, I'll see you in a couple seconds. Right? But fully committed. And as I was thinking about you guys, that's you. All in. In ways that we've seen publicly, in a lot of ways that no one will ever know. But you've been fully committed. And a lot of times I've been in leadership long enough to know that the minute someone announces that they're transitioning out, they're mentally out in that moment. <laughs> You're just going to pay them for the next few months before they leave. And you guys have been all in to the very last minute. And that speaks so much to your character. And so what we got you were these little silver antique uh, wine goblets, chalices. I don't know what they are, uh, but they're silver. I'm sure they'll clean up nice. I don't know if I drink out of them because they're old. But when I was talking to the person that had them in their family forever, she said that they were originally used in this old church they used to attend uh, for communion. And I thought that was such a beautiful picture. Not only are they wine chalices, but they were used for something that we revere in the church as a time where we remember Christ's suffering, but also that allowed our connection to him. And this is what you're doing. You're about to embrace pain and discomfort. Uh, you're going to understand the pain of Jesus in ways you haven't understood, trust me, as you're planting this church. But you're going to feel closer to him in that pain than you ever have before. And you're going to connect people, people right now that are in Milwaukee going, God, are you real? How could you be real? Show me someone that is not a hypocrite. Show me someone that genuinely loves you, that loves the community. Show me someone that's a Christian that's not weird, right? It sounds like a simple prayer. It's not as easy all the time. Then they're going to meet you, and you're going to connect them back to their creator. And so, uh, man, that represents you guys. So we love you. Um, if I could ask the, the rest of the elders, uh, since you're officially now no longer elders, uh, the Monroys and the Wests um, kind of hover six feet away and pray. <laughs> ah, COVID, COVID. Uh, if it's not too uh, weird, if you would just hold your hands uh, out from where you are, it's symbolic of you laying hands on them uh, to send them out. That's what they did in biblical times. And it's also very uh, COVID friendly. So if you could <laughs> send your hands out, we'll pray for them. Uh, and then we will officially dismiss. God, we just thank you for faithfulness. God, thank you for in a world that has so many pictures of hypocrisy and unfaithfulness, so many pictures of scandal, God, thank you for Mike and Tiff that have showed us what faithfulness looks like when it's easy and when it's really hard. Thank you that you've given us a model of integrity. God, we pray this, what we, what we just saying, we pray that over them, that you would bless them, you would go before them, you would go behind them, give them obviously safe travel when they, to, to get to Milwaukee, but God, we pray that they would feel the wind at their back, that you would change lives there, God. God, I pray that you would do what only you can do. God, they go, uh, we can't, but they do. 
And so we send them. They go with our blessing. They go with our support. We, uh, a part of our hearts, go with them. And we always know if we find ourselves in Wisconsin, hopefully not in the winter, uh, that we have a place to worship. God, I pray that they would feel our support, that we're with them heart and soul. Change lives, change lives through them and their efforts. Unify them as a family. As the enemy would love to tear their family apart, would you keep them together? We love you. We send them off in your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.